0: Amen. Thank you, Ronnie. Let me say, if that don't get you going, I think your wood's wet, as they say. is what they say? I don't know who they are, but they say some funny things. Let me ask you this before we get started today. If you could compare the church uh, to something else, uh, what would you compare it to? You know, some people might say the church is kind of like a gas station. You know, you go throughout your week and you get drained physically, you get drained emotionally, you get drained spiritually. And so on Sunday you come in because you're running low, your tank's on empty and you need to get a spiritual fill up. And you get a good sermon, you get some good songs and you get ready for your next week and you head out the door with the full tank. Some people might say that your church is kind of like a movie theater. They see it as a place that offers entertainment. They see it as a place where you go for an hour of escape, you find a comfortable seat, uh, you get to hear something good, and you walk out the door with a smile on your face and and feeling better than you did when you walked in. Some people look at the church like it's a civic club. It's a place that's supposed to produce programs for children and for young people, a place that's going to try to make better citizens out of people and better better people. Some people look at the church like it's a drugstore. It's the place where they can come and get their prescription filled to deal with their pain. Uh, they look at the church like it's therapeutic in a sense. Some people look at the church like it's a big box store. You know, it's the place where you go, it's, where it's that one-stop shop where you go and you get all the best products in a clean and safe environment where everybody feels good and it's a great service at a low, low price. You know, some of those ideas might contain some bits of truth. For instance, uh, church ought to be a place where you're encouraged, where you're filled up, where you're, you get you ready for the week ahead. It ought to be a place that's safe for your kids and, and for teenagers to learn and to grow. It ought to be a place uh, where you can come and deal with your struggles and deal with your pain. But ultimately, when we think about the church, uh, when we think about the purpose of the church, the meaning of the church, uh, the picture that I want us to have, the, 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 the foundational, most basic picture I want us to have is that of a training ground, As that of a place where we come where the body of Christ gathers together to be prepared, to be equipped to live as the body of Christ and to carry out the mission that God has given us. I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 today. And I want us to wrap up today the series we've been going through on the, the mission of the church, the, the, the purpose of the church. We've, we've, we've looked at worship, the, the church the purpose of the church is worship, that we come to gather to worship the one true God and to sing our praises and to lift our praises up to Him. We've looked at discipleship and how the purpose of the church is to lead believers uh, to a stronger faith, uh, to a more complete faith. We looked at evangelism and how the purpose of the church is to, is to, to so that His people can come forward and, be, and, be, and encounter God and then go forth to want to, to, to see that other people would come to Christ. And today I, I want to finish um, with this, this thought of, of what does it mean um, when we say the work of the church? What is, what is the work of the church? You know, there's a particular joke that runs around the Internet every now and then that I'll run across um, in which you'll see a picture of something that was done incorrectly, and it'll have the caption, you had one job. As if to say, you only had one job. How in the world could you possibly mess this up? Like, for instance, this right here. Do not enter, enter only. I mean, you had one job, or, or, or this one right here. What? You had one job, just paint the sign right. Or, or this one right here. Onions with car- carrot or with corn inside them. You had one job, or like, or like the next one. You, you had one job, or, or, or like this one. A brand new Batman backpack that's not Batman on it. You had one job. Or maybe this one. Thirst Place. Has anybody ever gotten in Thirst Place? Or maybe this one. This is my favorite. Open nine days a week. I mean, you had one job. Let me tell you, the truth is I have one job. The Bible tells me I have one job. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says this. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, shepherds being pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, every now and then um, I'll be at church or something, and, and, and I'll, I'll, someone will come up to me and, and they'll, they'll, they'll make a statement like this. Well, man, preacher, I sure do wish I had your job. I mean, you just preach one sermon a week and that's about all you got to do. Sounds like a pretty good job. And, and I don't say that to try to pretend that, that my job is the most difficult job in the world or it's the most stressful or it's the most, most time-consuming. I think every job has dignity, every job has stress, every job has trials for sure. Um, but usually when someone says that to me, I'll kind of start to think through, like, man, if they only knew, um, you know, what all a preacher does. And this isn't to brag on any of us, but, you know, preach sermons. You've got to study to preach more sermons. You've got to be with the family when they lose, lose a loved one. Then you've got to preach the funeral and, and walk with them through that grief. Share the gospel with someone. Pray with someone before, before surgery. Sit with the family when they find out that their family member has cancer. And try to walk with them through that. To counsel with a couple who's contemplating divorce and then turn around and counsel with a couple who's thinking about getting married and try to work through all that. Uh, To to lead a prayer meeting, to to meet with a committee, to organize an an event, to baptize a new believer. There's a lot of little jobs that I could say, well, I do this, 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 and this, 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 and this, and this. But according to the Lord, I have one job. And that one job is to equip the saints, for the work of the ministry. And if I'm not doing that job, I'm not doing my job. The Lord looks at me and says, you have one job. And so a minister's role, any of our roles who, who serve as a minister of the gospel, it, our role isn't just to be a preacher of sermons. Our role isn't just to be a singer of songs, an organizer of events. Our, our role is to be an equipper of souls, to lead the church the individual members of the church, to live out the purpose and calling that God has placed on your life. To live as God created you and designed you for His glory and for His renown and to carry out His mission on this earth. Now, now, I want us to think for a second about what is the work of the ministry. He says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. He gives us a little clarification in verse 12. He said to equip the saints for the work of the ministry... For building up the body of Christ. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so what is the work of the ministry? It's to bring the body to spiritual maturity. To fill the church and to fill the world with people who rightly glorify God who live in obedience to the Lord and whose lives bring glory and honor to the Lord because they've surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and are walking in His ways. And you know, the truth is, is that that's not a new mission. In fact, that's the exact thing that God's been after since the day He created the earth to fill the earth with worshipers, to fill the earth with those who would love Him and who would serve Him and who would obey Him. Let me take you on a, a brief journey through the, the Scriptures. Okay, this is not going to take that long, but I promise you, we're going to go from Genesis all the way to here. All right, so if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, Adam and Eve were created, and God tells them this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, when you first read that, you think, okay, that's just a command for them to go have some children, and just start filling the earth that way. But let me tell you, it's bigger than that. It was bigger than that. Because who were they called to fill the earth with? Well, over in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, we're told that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and those words work and keep are actually the same Hebrew words that are, that are translated worship and obey. And so Adam's very purpose, his very design in the garden was to worship the Lord and to obey Him. And so I believe whenever God placed Adam and Eve on the earth and said, fill the earth, His goal, God's goal was for them to fill the earth with people who would worship and obey Him. With people who would rightly glorify the Lord by loving Him and by serving Him. Now we know that sin entered the world pretty quickly. Adam's Adam's task was to pass that on to his sons, and he obviously failed when it came to Cain, right? But you know what? The mission was not over. The mission was not done. That same task was passed down to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It's going to be on the screen. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in verse 3, it, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what was God's promise there to, to Abram? He said, Abram, serve me, surrender to me, and guess what? I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to fill the earth with your people with those who who are your children. And and Abram, this entire world is going to experience my glory because of my promise to you and because of your submission to me. And so what was Abraham's mission? Fill the earth with people who would glorify the Lord. Fill the earth with people who would honor Him. Now if we fast forward all the way to the end of Christ's earthly mission, to the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, what are we told there? Go therefore and make disciples of all Nations. Now, what is a disciple? Gary did a tremendous job of covering this a couple of weeks ago. What is a disciple? A follower, a student, a learner, one who walks in the way of his master. And so, what was Jesus telling us to do? Fill the earth with those who would follow the Lord, fill the earth with those who would give their lives to Him. And so what is our ministry? What is the work of the ministry for us? To work toward a day in which Christ reigns over every heart. To work toward a day in which every knee will bow to the Lord in heaven and worship. To work toward a day in which every person becomes a child of God through the shed blood of Jesus. Now let me just say this. The details of that work are going to be different for all of us and the details are going to be different every single day. We're different in our gifting, right? We're different in our calling. But the goal is the same, to bring the entire world to glorify God, to take the good news to the lost, to show the love of Christ to those both inside the church and those outside the church, to lift one another up, to carry each other's burdens, to meet needs, to lead one another to faithfully obey the commands of Christ. That is our mission. That is our calling. And it's all for the sake so that that God's name would fill this earth, just like He told Adam to do, just like He told Abram to do, just like He's told us to do. That's our mission. And the church is here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is our purpose. Now, I know that sounds huge because we think, well, there's... what. 7 billion people on the earth. Isn't that what the number is now? Something like that. A lot of people. We'll just put it that way. And we might think, how in the world are we going to accomplish that? Well, I want to give you three simple ways today um, that every single one of us can be involved in the work of the ministry today. And these are things that don't take any extra training. These are things that don't take seminary classes. These are things that, that all you have to be is someone who loves Jesus and wants to serve Him. You do that, you can get to work. Number one thing you can do, and I would say the ultimate number one thing you can do, is be a person of prayer. Pray. You want to do the work of the ministry? Pray. We cannot be the church God wants us to be if we are not a people of prayer. Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, what did Jesus say? His house must be a house of prayer. He's not just talking about the building. He's talking about the people. We must be a people of prayer. Prayer. I think a beautiful example comes in Acts 13. I'd recommend you go read this later today. But in Acts chapter 13, we read the story of the church at Antioch. And we read that and we oftentimes pay attention to the fact that that's where Paul and Barnabas were sent out, sent out as missionaries. You remember that? But you know what led them to do that? Worship and prayer. They were in a time of worship and prayer as a church, and that ministry was born out of prayer. We are useless as a church, and all the things that we do are useless if we are not first a praying church. Now, I, I, I know I, this is what comes across. Sometimes people will say this, and I've even thought of myself before. You know what? I, I don't have time to pray. I just want to get to work. I just want to do something. We, we, what's it? I, I, I want to I see some action. I want to just skip ahead and do some ministry. But let me tell you, prayer is work. It is work, and we are called to do that work in which we bow to our needs and call out to the Father because it is an act of faith in which we are saying to the Lord in that time of prayer, my faith is not in my ability, my faith is in God's ability and His ability alone. Prayer might, be, might seem simple, and might, it might at times seem like it doesn't work on our level. We don't see how God is at work, but let me tell you, God can move mountains through a faithful prayer life. James chapter 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Great power as it is working. We must be a people of prayer. Can I tell you about somebody who I know is a person of prayer? Actually, let me tell you about two people. There are a couple of little old ladies, we can call them, in our church. And I know this would be a lot of people, but two in mind that I have... In mind, who I know and I've been in their home and I've visited with them and I've, I've seen their life in action. Every day, without fail, these two little old ladies open up their church directory and pray for every name by name and lift those names up to the Lord. You may not know these two ladies, but they know your name because they pray for you every day. Every day. They do the work of They have a place at their kitchen table. One side of their kitchen table is for eating. The other side of their kitchen table is for Bible study and prayer. They call the church every now and then and say, hey, we need a new directory because we've worn ours out. Not looking for phone numbers, but looking for people to pray for. They are people of prayer. And they don't just pray for our church. They pray for pastors in the area. They pray for our other local churches. They pray for every Southern Baptist missionary by Now these are little old ladies. They physically can't do a lot. They can't pack up and go on a mission trip to the other side of the world. They're not rich by an earthly sense. They can't give tons of money, but they know they can do the work of the ministry simply by praying in faith. And they understand that God can and will move mountains by Prayer, And so I believe that every believer's first ministry calling is a calling to our knees to be people of prayer. Want to do the work of the ministry? Start with prayer. Secondly, how can we do the work of the ministry? Give. Give. It's that simple. If we were to do a study of the New Testament passages which talk about giving, in which Jesus talked about giving, in which the, the early church... Talked about giving and actually gave, in which Paul wrote about giving. We could go on for weeks. Now I'm sure the budget and finance committee and Gary would love for me to preach that certain series, sermon of that series of sermons. Right? Isn't that about right, Gary? But but if we did, you would find passages like this. Take for instance Acts chapter two, verse forty-four. It says, "All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had." need. Acts chapter 11 verse 27 said, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now did you notice there that that prophet said there was going to be a famine over all the world, yet that church felt called to give to others instead of holding for their own. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul speaks on giving to the church at Corinth. And this is how he finishes a little section there. He says, as for you, as you excel in everything... In faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He's talking about giving. He says, see that you excel not only in faith and love and all those things, but make sure that you excel in giving. What you would find if you studied the New Testament is that all those passages emphasize one thing, sacrificial giving for the sake of God's mission. The early church understood that when God saved them, He laid a claim on their wallet because He laid a claim on their whole life. And they understood that the call of God on them was a call to give sacrificially for the sake of others. You know, it is through the generosity of God's people that we are able as a church to do the work of the ministry. If God's people are not generous, then the church can't do what the church is called to do. We are, and we are called to serve. We are called to do all these things, but we can't do it if the people of God are not first obedient to God and generous. You know, a while back, a few months ago, we decided to um, institute a little chore chart at our house. And so the boys have this little thing on the refrigerator, and every day they have a, they have a list of chores. And if they do all their chores um, for the week, then X number of days, I think it's like five out of seven days of the week, if they do their chores, then we give them like, Quarter per chore, or something like that, and so, and so, if they do it, if they do a good job of it, and we don't have to remind them and and constantly badger them to get their things done, then they they get like two dollars and fifty cents every week for allowance money, and they get to go do whatever. And when we first started to do this, we wanted to make sure the boys understood the importance of giving, you know, because the Bible tells us to give of our first fruits, of whatever we make, we ought to give back a tenth to the Lord. And so we told the boys, and at first they threw a big, massive fit, because you know how kids are with money. I don't want to give my money away, you know. And they started whining and crying. And so I pulled Will aside, and I had just given him $2.50, and I gave it to him all in quarters, Um, mainly because I had a giant coin jar on my my counter, and I wanted to get rid of it. And so I gave it all to him in quarters. But I said, hey, he was complaining, I don't want, that's so much money. And so I took took those 10 quarters I just gave him, I laid them out in front of him. And I said, look, Will, I said, you did all your chores this week. You made $2.50. You did a great job working this week. You did everything we asked you to do and more. You did a great job. Here's your, your pay. I said, now look, God enabled me to be able to pay you this because he blessed me with a job. If it was not for God's blessing, I would not be able to give you anything. And you were able to get that because God blessed you with with hands and feet and a mind that you could actually do what you were taught to do, and I said, now when when God gives us money like that, I, I said He He's I took those coins and I said God says, hey, you can keep nine. And you, do, you, you have fun with that nine. And you buy something nice with that nine. You go get you some candy at Walgreens or something like that. You have, have a good time with that nine. And I said, but of those of ten, those I said, nine is yours. God says you can keep that. He gave it all to you. You can keep the nine. But the one, he asks you to give back to him. And he kind of sat there and thought for a moment. And he looked me and he says, that's it? That's all? And I said, yeah, that, that's all. He commands us to give a tenth back to him. And it was like it clicked in his mind And that little seven-year-old brain with all the other things rolling around in there. Suddenly he got, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, the funny thing is, and I, that now this probably will not stay the same way all, through his entire childhood, I'm sure, but the funny thing is, is since that I've never had to tell him, go get your tithe. We hand him the offering. He immediately takes one quarter out of that $2.50, and he sets it aside and says, this is my offering for tomorrow. And, even, and it's even neat, because if, if you're on the county committee, you've probably found that little envelope with scribble on there, and it'll say, like, for Bibles or for something. Like, he got. I was so proud. This is, not a, this is not me bragging. This is the Lord's work. I was so proud, because he got in that moment what it was for. And he understood that when we give to the church, it's to do God's work. It's to buy Bibles for people who need them. It's to feed the homeless. It's to... It, it, it's it's to, to serve those who are in need. It's to meet needs. And I believe that God, I believe He's beginning to understand that when we give, God blesses us in return. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. I talked about this last Sunday night, but I need to talk about it again. Malachi, God says this. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. God's, this is one of the only times in Scripture where God says, put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says, test him. He says, test me and let me show you how much I want to bless you if you will be obedient to what I've told you to do. You know, there's that old statistic, and I, I, like I said last Sunday, and I, I don't know who gives what in this church, and I never want to know. Um, but there's that old statistic that, that 20% of the people give 80% of the money when it comes to church work. But what if, what if 100% of the people gave 100% of what God has called them to give? What would we be able to do then? You know, we have a million dollar budget at our church. That's a lot of money. But what if everyone gave what God called them to give obediently? Do you realize what we could do? Do you realize the impact we could make? on Shelby County, on our state, on our world, all for the sake of Jesus Christ. Do you realize the change that could come about if everyone gave as God laid on their heart to give, and they were obedient? If we didn't walk in fear and say, I can't give because, well, there's a lot of bills coming up. But instead we simply gave by faith? You know, every dollar that we give allows the ministry to happen. Because people give, we're able to buy Sunday school curriculum. Because people give, we're able to put on a vacation Bible school for kids so they can hear about Jesus. We're able to send people on mission trips. We're able to provide a place of worship for our people. We're able to feed the homeless. We're able to to support orphans, to send out missionaries, to help start other churches, to support Baptist churches that are struggling. To see people saved because people give. That is the work of the ministry. So we must be people who pray. We must be people who give. And lastly, I'll say this, we must be people who serve. We must be people who not only sit back, but we get up and we do the Lord's work. I don't think anyone in here would, would argue with me if I were to say that our American culture, our society has become overly obsessed with entertainment. You know, there was a day and age in our country in which our heroes uh, were generals and presidents and people who made a significant difference in our world. And now, if you go ask kids who they want to be like, they're going to tell you LeBron James. They're going to tell you Athletes. I want to make a million bucks, millions of bucks playing a sport. That's their heroes. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor years ago, and he said this, and you tell me if this is still the case today. He said, men and women no longer take exercise in sport as they used to. Instead, people sit, tend to sit in crowds and just watch other people play. There was a time when people provided their own pleasure, but now the radio and the television provide their entertainment and pleasure for them. And I fear that the tendency is even manifesting itself in the Christian church. More and more we see evidence that people are just sitting back in crowds while one or two people are expected to be doing everything. Now that, of course, is the complete denial of the New Testament doctrine of the church as the body of Christ, where every single member has responsibility, has a function, in matters. Watchman Nee was a pastor in China back in the early 1900s, and he said this, he said, The fellowship of the body is always two-way, receiving and giving. Wanting only to receive is not fellowship. Every member of the body has a ministry, and every member is called to function in the place appointed by the Lord. And, And so we are called to do the work of the ministry. Now understand, I said this earlier, everyone's work is not the same. The goal is always the same, but all of us are different. Not everyone's called to be a preacher. Not everyone's called to be singing the choir. Not everyone's called to be a teacher. Some people are gifted differently. Your ministry, your work with the ministry might be sharing Christ with a neighbor. It might be welcoming a new family into the church. It might be preparing a meal for someone who lost a loved one. It might be sitting with someone at the hospital while their loved one's in surgery. It might be setting up chairs for a fellowship, rocking babies in the nursery, serving on a mission trip. Playing in the praise band, singing in the choir, putting cards in the chair pockets so that people can know what's going on at the church. Helping people find a seat in the sanctuary. We could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on, but we are called to do the work. And every time, every day we wake up, our calling might be different. The Lord might put something in in front of us today, and our calling is simply do the work God has placed in front of us today. And then go to bed and get up the next day and do the work that God has placed in front of us today. And if we will do that together as the church, we will accomplish God's mission for us. Together as a church, He has called us to serve together. I read a story this past week, a true story of a man in Nebraska who's a farmer in a barn that was too close to this creek that was rising. And before he knew it, his barn was two feet underwater. And he didn't want to lose his barn, didn't know what he was going to do. And so here's what he did. He invited 344 people from his community to come to his house for a barn raising. Except for this is what they did. His son was an engineer of sorts, and so he built this latticework of steel tubes, and he attached it to the inside and the outside of the barn. And those 300-and-something people gathered around that barn, and in, in under three minutes they lifted that 17,000-pound barn and walked it 143 feet up a hill and placed it on a new foundation. And in doing so, each person only had to carry 50 pounds. 17,000 pound barn. Many people would have looked at that and said, the job's too big. There's no way we can do it. There's no way we can complete it, complete it. But you know how they did it? Together. One person couldn't have done it. 50 people couldn't have done it. 100 people, 150 people might have been able to have done it, but it would have been extremely difficult. But when 344 people joined together and said, let's do this together, it happened in under three minutes. You know, that's kind of like the church. When the church is working together, when everyone says, I'm going to do the work of the ministry, I, would, I think we would be shocked to see what God could do through the church. Just pray with me? Father God, you have saved us, not just so that we can sit. You've saved us so that we can serve, so that we can do the work of the ministry so that we could be the body of Christ and a body a healthy body moves a healthy body works a healthy body is active and we are the body of Christ and so you've called us to get to work to be people of prayer who do the work of prayer on our knees calling out to you in faith to to do the work of giving of laying down all that we have for your kingdom for your purpose to do the work of serving to look for opportunities every single day to serve your kingdom and your name and I pray right now for each of us individually that we would surrender to that calling that we would be equipped for the work of the ministry church can do all it can do but if people refuse to be equipped then what can we do and so father this is an individual decision it's an individual calling we understand that and so we pray today laying ourselves down at your feet as a church saying God use us just as Isaiah responded here am I send me here we are father send us show us the work of the ministry in front of us today. Father God, if there's someone who needs to respond to the invitation today, who you've laid on their heart some decision that needs to be made, maybe for salvation, for rededication, or church membership, I pray that you would give them the confidence that as we sing this song of invitation, that they would step out of the aisle and come forward and make that decision known publicly. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Just stand as we sing.